Blog Talk Radio. WIJSF.com. Women in Jazz South Florida Inc. is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, concerts, performances, clinics, lectures, workshops, articles, interviews, newsletters, courses, contacts, research, history, archives, websites, film, audio and video recordings, and recognition. Visit us at WIJSF.com. You're listening to blogtalkradio.com slash musicwoman with your host, Diva JC. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Diva JC, and I am here in cloudy South Florida. It has been raining for two weeks now, and I mean serious rain. But I keep my spirits up by listening to great music and great musicians. And today I have a great musician here. So I'm going to open the mic. Dr. Kathleen Riley is my guest. Hello. Hello. Oh, what a pleasure to be with you today. This is going to be a joy. Really exciting. Now tell me, where are you calling from? Oh, my goodness. Well, I am in sunny, sunny, very hot Northern California. Um, We would love it if you would send some of that rain you're having our way. Um, for sure, <laughs> this is this this I'm a lot here, so I get plenty of vitamin D. However, we are in some serious times. 
closed right now, and fires are already starting. So. Oh yeah. wow. Okay, so yeah. Kathleen, let's dive into the interview. Let's do it. How did you first come to music as a child? Ah, my favorite story. We had a a spin a piano in the house, and my mother had played just for pleasure. And when I was about four years old, I I was fascinated, and I would walk over to the piano, and I would just kind of put my hands on the keys and make sounds. And my mother saw this, and she would sit me at the bench, and she began to show me things. She showed me notes, and, you know, it was a it was a beautiful experience, just, you know, kind of heart-to-heart with my mom. And lo and behold, by the time I was six, I was reading, playing, and memorizing music. But it all started just from that curiosity of my heart and a feeling of, this was a voice for me, an expression of creativity, but really deeper in a way of my soul. So that was the very beginning. Okay, and did you study music formally? Oh, my gosh, yes. For many, 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 many years. So I began with a formal teacher at the age of seven, and I was a really fast, gifted learner, and, um, you know, I went in the door through classical music, which I deeply love. And we're sharing several pieces of that today with your audience. And uh, it was more of a, I was a voracious sight reader. So you could put any piece of music in front of me, and my golly, my fingers would just fly over the keys, and out it would come. And mm-hmm. I was also a good student in high school, but come senior year when I pictured going on to college, I couldn't imagine my life without music. So I chose to go to a, for my first year, I went to a liberal arts college, um, but I majored in music. And Mm -hmm. halfway through that year, I said, okay, I want a deeper dive in this. So I transferred from there to Manhattan School of Music, where I did, I completed my bachelor's degree, and I went right on to study and complete my master's degree. So at that point, I had also begun teaching. During those years, I lived in northern New Jersey, right outside New York City. So I would commute in. And I began teaching at 19. I began teaching students, some of whom I would stop off at their houses on my way back home. Others were in my neighborhood. And I just loved teaching and sharing how we express through music. And it became, you know, part and parcel of what I believe and I, I, you know, thrive by doing is to teach the purpose of music, the purpose of sound. What are we here to express? And so for many years, I then embarked on performing, and I, along with my teaching, and I did many, many solo performances in the New York metropolitan area. And I also performed solo with orchestra twice in New York City. So I was a soloist with the um, Center Symphony Orchestra. And that was absolutely a wonderful experience as well. Did a lot of chamber music uh, with other instrumentalists and a lot of vocal accompanying. Because I love, love playing and accompanying vocalists. 
in my, gosh, I guess I was 30 um, or 32, I felt there was more to learn, but I wanted to explore it in a very deep way. And so I embarked on a degree, and the only path that I felt was really going to let me explore what I wanted to was I pursued a Ph.D., in piano performance at New York University. Now, that is really, I believe it is the only university that offers the PhD as opposed to just the Doctor of Musical Arts, which most um, other conservatories and colleges are doing. They had that as well, the difference being that I had a much more rigorous um, study part of this and digging in and delving into what I really wanted to explore. And so, interestingly, I get a degree in piano performance, but then I, I'm not looking to really do that to be a performer. I explored what is the essence? How do I express and teach other people to understand nuances in sound? And finished that up and did it very, very part-time. And so many years fast forward, I graduate in, uh, I finished it in 2000, December of 2000. And in January of 2001, I embarked on the next chapter of my life, which I call myself a who would have thunk it. You would never see it coming. Because in addition to playing, I became enthralled with the world of looking at why performers were having issues, physical you know, health issues like overuse, misuse, stuff like that, but also performance anxiety. So I embarked in classes courses in neurophysiology, psychology, and then I found my happy place with biofeedback. And again, still performing, doing my work, my teaching, this became its own vehicle for helping other people truly optimize their expression of sound. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're going to talk to us about your optimal, optimal performance coaching after I play Arabesque Number One by Debussy. Let me, yeah, let me just say for one, everybody that's listening, this is one of my absolute favorite pieces to play. And after you have a listen, I would love to share just a little bit more about it from my heart. Okay.
beautiful. That was totally relaxing. Mm, so yes. What do you want to tell us about this? Well, you know, Debussy is um, one of our French composers, you know, from the time of Impressionism. And I always would treat myself, you know, as I was right across the, the George Washington Bridge, and I would spend many hours, many days going into some of the museums. In fact, many times I would just take a break from the piano so I could walk into the Metropolitan, you know, and I could go into the Impressionist galleries, and I could, you know, when I look at a painting, I see sound. <laughs> when I listen to a piece of music, you actually hear color. If you think of it that way, we're really getting a sense of the life force of what's behind the form. So it's a window inside. And I especially love that because you said, yeah, it's beautiful, it's relaxing. And when I would teach my students and we would have our recitals, I would always have everyone write about each piece they were playing and performing. I'd say, if you were playing this piece, to a scene or, or behind a, a silent movie. What's the story telling you? And I think for every one of us, every piece we listen to can bring up a different story. In fact, you know, I can play that piece over and over, and each time I play it, it can have a different meaning. Um, that particular recording we just shared was, was done many years ago when I was back in Englewood, New Jersey, and it was recorded in the Tony Bennett Recording Studios. Um, on a, a beautiful um, grand piano there, and uh, his his sons, uh, Daigle and Danny, were, were the owners of that studio. And I spent many, many delicious times with them back in the day. Englewood was a magical place for some of that musical birthing. I actually had the pleasure of teaching one of, well, actually two of Tony's grandchildren, and I taught um, George Benson's youngest son, and I taught Ben Vereen's girls. So um, it was kind of an interesting uh, hub in Englewood, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Now, have you toured outside of the country? I have been, I, I have played in, um, I spent a summer in Graz, Austria, and I did a lot. That was mostly doing accompanying over there, vocal accompanying. And, oh, it was beautiful. We were in Vienna and um, Salzburg and Graz itself and then some of the other areas around. Um, as a concert artist, I did not pursue that type of, of world. Um, that was not my calling. And my calling really became very, very defined especially as I really went through the doctorate in terms of, you know, being here as, as really someone to help others understand how they can most optimally express themselves. And if I look so back... Did you, I've been, so did you accompany uh, opera singers? I did I did opera, I did lyric song, I did some jazz people, you know, like people who had um, arrangements for me. And I, you know, I, I played with many instrumentalists as well. And, you know, that was a joy for me. I especially 
love going in, and I would I would do this often. I'd be called in to, to play some for some vocalists. And, you know, we have that attunement with one another. You know it as a musician. You get up and you, you're playing with a trio, you know, and you all feel each other's soul. You all feel each other. You know when somebody's going to do what. And I just love that instant communication. And I've coached people where they go, oh, my God, we haven't practiced, we haven't practiced. I'm like, take a deep breath and listen. You can feel it. You can sense it. It's right there. And I, I, I think that was – my heart was probably happiest when I was in that kind of ensemble work as opposed to just doing solo. But, um, but I do love the solo repertoire as well. And have you worked with other women musicians? I, I, in, well, especially in coaching, yes. No, in yes. ensemble. Oh, in ensemble, yes. Most, most of the uh, vocalists I worked with were women. Any instrumentalists? Um, for sure, for sure. Actually, my uh, when I was at NYU, I was the um, assistant artistic director for what we called the New York University Chamber Music Society. And we would perform at Merkin Concert Hall up at the 92nd Street Y. And my professor's daughter, um, she's actually one of the concert violinists in the New York Philharmonic. And so I, I did many performances with her and with another beautiful woman singer from New York, Anna Bartos. Um, you know, there are many, many that I performed with. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just was a, was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I also coached when I was like nine. Well, I accompanied, I should say. I was brought in as a rehearsal pianist when I was like 19 and 20 years old. I would go to um, some of the members of the Metropolitan and, and City Opera lived in New Jersey, and I, in fact, one of them lived in my hometown of Glen Rock, mm-hmm. and she was a principal at the Met, and I would go over to her house and play for her. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I was just really blessed with a lot of. Um, opportunities that's good that's beautiful and is piano the only instrument that you have ever played it is the instrument i have played i have taken voice lessons plus i did i've done a lot of vocal coaching a lot Uh and i directed choruses for years yeah okay and so now tell us about your Coaching. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm going to start back in, a, in, in what my dear friend Jonathan Goldman would call the way, way back machine of, of music. And when I, even from, the sense, from being a child, a little child, you know, I had this sense of, of music having a much deeper purpose, deep purpose within the universe itself. And, of course, now as we're fast-forwarding and we're in the 21st century, we see evidence of this all over the place, right? How, you know, more people are getting into sound healing and, you know, music therapy. But you know me, Joan. I'm, I'm not into people's labels, and I'm like, okay. But every single one of us, through intentionality, can do this. And so when I think back to, you know, the idea of Pythagoras and Plato and Aristotle and I look at where was music, what was it considered, 
you know, it's like a sound binder of the universe, you know, and Pythagoras had his whole, you know, the harmony of the spheres and all of that, and it's real. So I think every single one of the people I coach, what my, my whole mission is to have people understand is it starts with intentionality, and your intention is to share from your heart. Um, and that's, I was having a very deep dive conversation with our dear friend Fred Johnson about this the other day. And I said, you know, it's like when you go into that deep level of intentionality, you kind of get your ego out of the way. You know what I mean, John? Like, you got to say to the ego, all right, do you really want to go in and prove that point? Or do you want to just like go in with the essence of what's underneath it? You know? And so that's it. And I, and I think about, going in through both the body and then the mind. So I'm going to give an example. I'm a pianist, and I have a small hand. And so when I have to reach for large chords on the instrument, my hand has to stretch a lot. And I have to position it in such a way that I don't over-tighten and lock my muscles. And if there were days, and there were many of them back in my days in Manhattan, you know, the motto was no pain, no gain, so your, your arm would get a little sore. But at the same time something gets sore, or, or let's just say for you as a singer, Joan, you know, you have a little raspy throat come in, or you, you sang some, something too hard or too much, and, and then something feels tired and doesn't feel quite right physically. You know, there's an immediate accompanying, uh-oh, uh-oh in the brain <laughs> and little piece of worry comes in now i can flip that around and i can go in from the worry point for me as a pianist when i would do solo you know you you would you would do everything from memory so you could have an uh-oh moment <laughs> of you know some passage coming up and you're not quite sure oh i hope i remember this one and Golly, when you have that, uh-oh, guess what else happens? You have this like, little emergency break that goes on in the body. <laughs> like the, the arm, the elbow will begin to lock, you know? And for us pianists, we're, we're unlike you. We, we, we are the non-breathers of the musical community, so we hold our breath, <gasps> you know? <laughs> and we just barrel through it. But there's that connection. But both of those, whether it's the physical or the mental piece first, cause what I call a roadblock. And the roadblock, if you think about it, is creating a dissonance. And so in our sound that comes out, there's something that's dampened. We can hear this. We are actually now, I'm getting to the point with the development of the software that I've co-created with being able to show this in real time, be able to measure it. And when you absolutely address the things the body is doing at both the conscious level and the subconscious and what the muscles are doing that people are, you think it's normal, feels normal because it's, it's what you've been doing forever. <laughs> I started working with this biofeedback zone back in 2004, I think. Yeah. Because I got so frustrated one day talking to a doctor friend of mine. I said, my gosh, how can I show people, how can I prove to them? that they're not relaxing the tension in their arms. And he looked at me and says, oh, that's simple, Kathleen. 
you need to get your hands on a electromyography machine. It, it shows muscle activity. I said, what? He goes, yeah, it shows it in real time. So he gives me the name of this guy who invented the software he uses, and I call up the office, and his, his person puts me through because she thought my stuff sounded really interesting. And I speak to my dear, dear friend, David Markarian, and I told him what I wanted to do. And the answer that came back was such a gas. He goes, my goodness, that is way cool. You know, I played violin for 10 years. My mom is still alive and teaches piano, and my sister's a singer in a rock and roll band. He says, know what? I'll loan you a machine. Well, Joan, when you loan me something, look out. <laughs> Here it comes. And I, I put together a little case study. So I had a pianist who was having some tendonitis, and I used videos, right? So I used a camera, and then I used his machine. So I was doing the muscle activity. And I was then using a MIDI keyboard, so the Yamaha Disc Clavier. So I could get measurements of the fingers, stuff, what was going on, note overlap, loudness, softness, timing, all that good stuff, right? But I then became this amazing, geeky scientist girl because I had to analyze videos, the video stuff, footage in Dartfish software, which they actually use for Olympics. Yes, that's how they look at the Olympics movements. I used um, a MIDI sequencer for the music, and then I used David's software for the muscle. And I could correlate everything, and I could line it up, and I could show exactly what happened in the video with the hand position, what happened in the muscle firing, okay, and the difference in the improvement in the finger dexterity. So I threw him on as a third author on this paper because without his machine, I wouldn't. This wouldn't have been possible. And this article got published in Medical Problems of Performing Artists in 2005. I sent him a copy of the article and he flipped out. He says, my God, how did you do this? I said, well, it was a headache. I'd like to not have to do it that way again. (laughs) And we had a think tank. It started in 2005. And from that, he created the Performa Vision software that I work with today. And we're now doing an up-leveling of this. But, but Proforma Vision allowed me to look in very deep ways at how musicians are interacting. Singers, I would do the same with you. I would hook up muscles in your neck and your face, right, your forehead, and really look at this. And then, of course, we're hearing the sound production. And most times when we, when we optimize tension release, like an athlete would do, right, so you're an athlete, you were, you're wanting to top your last speed in the race coming up. What do you do? You go to a coach. The coach doesn't tell you you're doing everything wrong. He just optimizes and streamlines your performance. Cool. So what am I doing? I'm streamlining people. I'm taking those little roadblocks out of the way. Okay. Now, what is certified heart math? Oh, that's my other piece. Okay. So we got we got the we got the muscle piece which you're getting. I just gave that low down. And then I said back in 2007, I said, "You know, that's not enough. I got to look at the emotional piece here. I don't look at what people are doing to themselves. You know, more maybe more so in my classical world 
I have a lot of, especially when I taught at the Cleveland Institute of Music, you know, students are like what I call stress messes because they're always, you know, bombarded with having to play for pianos for juries and competitions and this and that. It's all about winning and becoming the best. And when you have a constant stressor, it impacts your physical health as well. So there's a mind-body piece to this. So I decided to investigate with heart math and look at some of this. And when I moved to Cleveland, I, it was very interesting. That's when I got my first certification in 2013 with them. And I got a clinical certification, which they, they agreed I could get it because it was me and I was not a nurse per, or, or doctor. But they said, okay, the way you're using these things in research, let's let you go that track. And lo and behold, in Cleveland, Ohio, I had two miraculous opportunities. Number one, I got asked to come on faculty at the Cleveland Institute of Music, design my own courses in optimal performance health, and run a bloody biofeedback lab. A biofeedback lab in an elite music institution, in which my students had to go in and were in my courses, and they worked with both the HeartMath software and ProformaVision. And, of course, in our cl- my classes I taught, they would learn the techniques and learn to identify with heart math. You're learning all about identifying what your thoughts are, noticing the emotions and attitudes that come along with them, and then to begin to shift and reset. And one young man who was a pianist, and he was in the class his last semester of his senior year, and he finally decided, okay, okay, I'll do the heart math. He thought it was ridiculous in the beginning, and then he liked it. He said, oh, it was pretty cool. So he made his challenge that he was going to prep for all of his auditions coming up using the heart math techniques. P.S. He gets into every school he applies for for his masters and one better and he attributes this to the techniques he learned and the work he did in the lab. He went on that summer to become one of the three finalists for the Young Concert Artist Competition in New York City. Okay. And he said it was a 180 change, you know. It, it was a 180-degree shift for this young man who hadn't even realized how stressed out he was. So. Yeah, stress is huge on the planet. <laughs> oh, well, yes. And then if I go back, so that's a great, great, yeah, let's, let's then talk about the stress, the planet, purpose of music, right? So we're here to shift and restore order, harmony, shift, reset. And going back to what I just said about the elitism, that was one of those things that I kicked up my heels about and left Cleveland when I came to Northern California. I'm like, okay, I've had enough of all this. You're all missing the whole purpose of music. And you're not seeing the elephants in the room. And they'd all look at me, what are you talking about, elephants in the room? I'm like, the elephant in the room is elitism. You got to get rid of it. It's taking the joy out. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we, we've all been in this, what I call the divine cocoon of pandemic. Yet, it's like as we come out of it in the metamorphosis, we're not to go backwards. And going forward, I think there's more of a calling for the arts, especially music, to come through as a restorative element, right? really bringing these um, intangibles 
out for people through sound. And, you know, if we take the, the divides of, of racism throughout the world right now and all of these issues, when you think through music, and I know the last song we'll share later with our audience is, is by Mendelssohn, and it's called A Song Without Words. And what a beautiful opportunity because that music can share volumes, volumes far greater than the actual spoken word out of the mouth could do because we're not necessarily going to hit someone's soft spot, buzz point, reactive point. You know, we're, we're just going to go in and let it be taken in to their hearts the way it's intended. It's a very, very powerful medium when used through that intention. And our dear friend Jonathan Goldman found here, you know, his, his formula is so simple, but I think it's here for every single one of us, women, musicians today, that your sound plus your intention, so your music plus intention equals mm-hmm. healing. Equals mm-hmm. healing. It equals balance. So we're always offering that from the heart. And so when I asked, you know, when I did my little research study with heart math, you know, on intentionality, and I would ask my four performers, what's your intention? What do, what do you want to express through this piece of music? And it was interesting. They had to think about it for a moment. I said, well, here's what I'm here to teach you. That has to be there first has to be there first, not last. You know, and going back to the four-year-old me, and there was another wonderful story that when I was in, um, I guess, finishing grade school, I was like about, I was in a Catholic private school, I was about eighth grade. My piano teacher's daughter, who was four years older than I, was babysitting a young boy. And I went with her over the summer several times to their house and Little Duncan had a piano in the house, and he was so excited because he was learning a little bit. And so one day he asked me would I come to, over to the piano with him. He wanted to show me something. And I said, absolutely. So I walked over to the piano, and he stood there. And I'm actually going to demonstrate it so everyone can hear it. And he played two notes, and he went like this. And he played them together. And he looked up at me with these big eyes, and he said, oh, isn't that beautiful? And at that moment, in the mouth of a child, through the mouth of a child, the eyes of a child, the ears of a child, that is the essence of what music is. That interval, the major third, is one of my very, very favorite pieces of harmony that we learn about because it is the interval that creates the harmony. And it's, it's when we listen to the space between the two notes. That's where we come together. And we see the life essence, the soul of every one of our fellow humans beneath, beyond the form, right? So we're really dissolving that those roadblocks that get in the way when we perceive only through form. 
we let judgment take in, come in. So talk about the group that you have. Ah, well, so here I am, and, you know, you just heard my whole what, what's the being, the essence of it, and I come back from New York City, smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, and I'm in pandemic land, and I'm going, my God, I can feel every heart and soul of every musician that just went into lockdown, everything's closed, no gigs, no nothing. And I sat with this for about three weeks, four weeks. And I remember a question very quietly coming in my meditations during the morning. One day I heard myself in my higher self ask, is it time? And I got a sense, no, not yet. Two days later, that question would sift through again, and no, not yet. And around the middle of April, I, one morning I heard, it's time. Well, I didn't know what that meant. So I sat on my terrace, and I just contemplated. And I listened, and I said, oh, I know what I can do. I'll start a Facebook group. I'll start a Facebook group called Global Coherent Performers Community where my friends can come. We can, we can gather. And, Joan, I began to teach. For 16 weeks, I had weekly 90-minute classes where I taught all about this. And I brought in the heart math techniques. And I brought in the teachings of, you know, the, the wisdom of our elders, so to speak. And I, we did many, many sharings. We did a lot of breakout rooms. And you could see the shift and reset with this group. Many of the members went and got the HeartMath Bluetooth sensors and downloaded the app, and we would practice some of the techniques together. And so for four months, kind of like I was able to give people a, a place to come. And then that continued and it expanded and now it's, our, it's a private group, but we have over 300 members. And, you know, it's really been interesting to see how the conversations are getting deeper into music's purpose. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's a glorious journey, and you're a part of it, and I'm just so delighted when you show up and you're with us and you share, um, you know, love your journey and love what you've been playing on the piano for us, Ms. Jones. <laughs> and I welcome you to Women in Jazz South Florida. We're in Florida, but we're global. And it's so wonderful. We have yeah. a lot of members from California. And yeah, I believe New I York and, you know, around the country. So what... Yeah. Do you see do you see yourself going into a classroom with these courses? I see this well I actually um within the company itself um Proforma Vision has been um something that David and I created 15 years ago and it was sort of like ahead of its time and uh it's being, I would, I, I'll use the word launched in a significant way over the next many months. Um, I can't really share a lot of that publicly right now, but um, there will be 
it's it's to become its own platform. Um, my vision is that there is a nonprofit wing of this for the higher level of research um, because there are other measurements going in for scientific physiological measurements as well as sound analysis where we can delve into looking at this through a microscope we've never done before. And, you know, there are, there are many, many people looking at this and, and talking to David about it. So, you know, that to me, I, I feel it's more of that being the platform where there are many um, musical institutions as well as groups who are very interested in my workshops and my work, and I feel that once this vehicle is there, that's where all of my things will be listed. And it just, ha- it just wasn't time before. And now that we're emerging out of the pandemic and things are opening up, it is time. So it's, it's, it's just it kind of divine. To it would be an online course. No, people are planning on flying me where they, they want me also. Oh, I see. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, not I, well. If you want the work with biofeedback, you can't do that online. Right. That's what I was thinking. That you need but to there, be with but you people. Can, you can get my coaching, which I mean, I I actually do work with. Well, I worked with about five different musicians through the pandemic, who had some technical things going on, because after all these years of doing what I do, I can see it and I can intuit it. But it's not the same power as getting hooked up. Like when I was in Southern California a a few weeks ago, I did a workshop for many of our friends who are members of the group, and they were just blown away. They got hooked up, and they're like, oh, my God. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And that was another piece that I was actually in Cleveland. I was invited on staff at the Cleveland Clinic to bring this to the Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. Me, a non-physician. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a pretty high honor. And, you know, I'm a PhD. No, 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 no. You're that's, not a medical doctor. You're not And that's a why I don't doctor. use doctor. I use PhD because... Um, the degree is in education, okay, so Kathleen, I am not a clinical. Yeah. Let me finish, okay? Yeah. You're not a medical doctor, but you are working with the, the you're working with human beings. So there is information that you have mm-hmm. gathered that medical Absolutely. doctors can benefit from. You know, oh, I don't yes. downplay my doctorate because I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I've had to clarify that for some medical people. That's why I, I stated it here. I see. It's not, it's not something you or I need to do um, in our circles, but it is um, – very much something I need to clarify. So that's that's just things I've learned the hard way. <laughs> that, that to me sounds like uh, elitism. 
Well, no, you know, it's because you can't bill for insurance for me. No, it's not. It's not. There's other factors <laughs> to it. You can't. <laughs> Yo, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Ah, so, I mean, so like, I'm, not, I'm not a billable thing, and I'm like, well, who gives a you-know-what? Because, you know, I'm more effective. You'd come to this for biofeedback, right. and I swear to God, I'm more effective than somebody seeing somebody else 20 times, and they get billed every time, you know. I don't know, whatever. Right. Of course. Yeah. I tell people, well, I used to tell people because I'm retired, but I used to tell people I heal more people in an hour singing than most doctors do all year. Totally. (laughs) So, you know, I never allow people to do that with me, you know. I love what you just said because, amen, sister, you just said I heal people. And this is my... My new mantra, and you'll be you'll be backing it up too, because it's like you know when when somebody wants to tell people, oh, you need to sign up for this sound healing course so you can become certified to do X Y Z. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't need to do that. You don't need to become another certified whatever, because right. if we start teaching this to children. They, every single child who takes an instrument or opens their mouth when it's from that intention from their heart, they're creating a different sound wave in the vibratory field. It shifts. You know, it, that's, that's where we, we have an effect on form through sound. Sound is, sound is, music, sound is a binder. It binds things. It, 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 it's what's behind the form. So do we have the ability, and I'll use instead of the word heal, I'll say, do we have the ability to affect the form through sound? Heck yeah. You know, we just, we are here to create that. And that is, you know, it's so beautiful because when we think about that whole idea of a song or sound without words, how cool vibrations speak volumes, right? Yes, yeah, so we're going to play that piece of music now. Okay. Sure. What do you think? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's and making listen. confidence, which is really interesting, coming into the, out of the pandemic. <laughs> confidence. <laughs> okay, and this is by Mendelssohn. Yeah. All right, here we go. Song Without Words.
You're going to make me start playing again. <laughs> yes, I am. You're going to make me go to the piano. So, Kathleen, Good. you have about seven minutes left. Okay. What would you advise a young woman coming into the music industry today? Hmm. I would, first advice is always to, literally two things, trust your gut and follow your heart. And I think the gut is a really big, um, important piece because our gut has a really good radar when we stay clear in our attitudes, emotions, you know, because we can easily, especially when we're coming into something for the first time, we can be idealistic and we can tend to get a little bit swept away. You know, I recently had uh, an incident in, in L.A. where somebody who was a pretty big um, coach in another profession, it was, it was more acting, but was super, super excited about what I was doing and we were going to do this, that, and the other thing together. And, you know, I was flattered. I thought, oh, this is great. And we had a follow-up, we had another follow-up meeting, and then when I reached back out recently to say, okay, this is when I'm coming back down, this is what you said we'd do, and now all of a sudden he's gone on to something else. Now, I didn't really get disappointed because as, as I'm older and wiser in my years, I said, oh, I get it. He, you know, he's one of these, he gets very enthusiastic in the moment and then something else comes along. But I think it's, it's, you know, we don't want to uh, put the eggs all in one basket, so to speak. So stay open. Stay neutral. If anything, really remember to take a breath. And as you take a breath, push a pause. Just push against your chest. And it's like you're pausing. And right where you're pushing, pause button is your heart. And take that breath in. Fill up your heart and exhale deeply. Take a couple more of those. And then when your mind gets itself to a little more of a still point, begin to discern. You know? And, and I think we all have a lifetime journey. <laughs> I don't think it really is. I think this is a lot of the this is a lot of the coachings and teachings literally that I do and it's what you get through HeartMap. I mean you learn about getting to neutral. And I think I know so many of my, my younger people that I coach now, they look at me and, they go, and like, or, or even people who, that, that are coaching with me who are in their 50s and 60s, they go, my God, why didn't I learn this in high school? <coughs> this would have made my life so much easier. I think it's something you can do in an instant. It was never talked about in my day growing up. You weren't taught this. Right. And this. You know, today I think it, it is much more of a conversation. I think I think stress is a big conversation these days. I think mm-hmm. you know, mental health is a big conversation. And I think well being and this is exactly those are tools I just gave out for well being. They weren't the tools to quote get yourself a job. <laughs> but in order to get yourself a job you have to be well. That's right. You have in to order to Standing in your truth and your essence, you know? 
Like, and you so want to be authentic. Yeah. Right. So many people do not want to go back to work today. Yeah. You know, because they're disillusioned uh, about the corporate world. And that's a whole other subject. <laughs> that is a subject for which that corporate world, and many of them are actually doing this, are now starting to look at really what hasn't been working and, and knowing that, yeah, we kind of left the heart outside the door, you know, um, and that's kind of what, what's really coming back in. Because if we look at underneath any form, I'm, I'm, I'm form as a word for a corporation, a person, an entity, a business, if you will, if you look for the underpinning, what is its core, that core, the essence to moving forward in this lifetime now is, is, is the heart has to be at the core of it. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. the heart, right? So it's, it's that frequency of allowing non-judgment, kindness, simple. Start there. Deceptively simple, as I like to say it. But that's got to be where, you know, these companies decide to get in there, do the dirty work, and walk the talk and make sure that it's, it's real. And, and any woman going into business, man, oh, man, that's what I'd be looking for. Is there a heart here? What's its essence? What's the core? You know. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, this has been delightful. And oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, I it's, have... What a way to spend my Friday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. I have another Zoom meeting tomorrow, so I'm going to check into yours and see how long I can stay, okay? That's fine. That will be wonderful. So, you know, you're always welcome when you get there. So looking forward to seeing you, yeah. Okay, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I believe that... We are the change that we're looking for. Oh, me too. Me too. And I so appreciate you and this beautiful organization you have and all that you're doing to push this forward. So thank you, and thank you for including me. I'm so honored. Okay, tell people about the magazine, okay? Absolutely. It's here, and I show it to anybody who comes over. So, yep. Excellent. All right, my dear. Talk to you tomorrow. Yes. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. WIJSF.com. Women in Jazz, South Florida, Inc. is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, 